I'm Tony Craig. I play Jack Huey on Do South. I am Catherine Bruyer. Hey, everyone. This is Ramona Milano, otherwise known as Francesca Vecchio. This is Paul Haggis. This is Paul Gross, and you're listening to Do South by Southeast. Thank you kindly. I wish this podcast would carry me away But while talking to Squeak here And Michelle get a word in edgeways Record over a bottle of rum on the dock of Southampton Bay To South That is what we're talking about To South Saddle up my microphone Get deep in Baker Bone To South by Southeast. Hello and welcome to another edition of Due South by Southeast, the podcast which gives Due South its Jews one episode at a time. This week we've got a slightly special episode. So next weekend. As I'm recording this, we've got Squeefest coming up, Squeefest the third, which is our fundraiser raising money for Phoenix Dogs Rehoming. A wonderful charity, and you can donate now at dogsqueed.com, rescuing dogs from all around Europe. Uh, but I'll have more details in just a second. As part of that event, we've got three very special interviews, uh, or very very special things happening. So two of them is an interview, one something else. So at 9 p.m. BST. That's 1 p.m. Uh, PDT, uh, so Pacific Time in America. We've got David Marciano on the 25th. That's the Saturday of September. And then at uh, later on in the event at 3 a.m. UK time and 7 p.m. Pacific Time, we've got Jay Semko, who did all the music behind Due South. Then... At 12 p.m. on the Sunday, that's 4 a.m. Pacific time, we've got Due South by Southeast, where we're going to be talking about the classic episode, All the Queen's Horses. So please do tune in, please watch all that, please donate whatever you can. I'm going to play in a minute a little trailer for Squeefest, but what we're going to do today, I was going to record me reading out a story I did during lockdown, which was called The Township of King. And uh, it's chock full of due south references in this story it's not a due south story but i used several character names several references to due south in this because it's set in canada and i thought it'd be fun uh, it's actually uh, the story is uh, named after a song by the bare ladies but anyway my voice has gone at the moment which i'm trying to get back in time for next weekend because i've had a, a sort of like fluey virus thing so instead my good friend tom dangerfield has recorded him reading the story. So, uh, for a start, all the Canadian accents are instantly going to be better. Please do allow him a bit of leeway, though, because uh, last minute he agreed to record this. Um, so, you know, whatever Canadian accent he could put together in that time, but he's a professional actor. I'm sure it'll be better than anything I could have done. Uh, there are some um, playful references to Canadians 
going A and uh, boot in here. But I want to assure you, I don't think all Canadians speak like that. I know they don't. It's just, um, I've met some Canadians who do. And like it's sort of like, it's, it's a playful reference anyway. Uh, but please enjoy this. So we're going to hear the uh, the advert for Squeefest. Then we're going to go straight into Tom recording uh, with his recording of the story. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Please let me know what you think. And please do donate. And please tune in next weekend for Squeefest. Thank you kindly. Hi, I'm Doug Squee. And I'm here to tell you about Squeefest a fantastic online event happening on the 25th, the 26th of September, 2 p.m. till 2 p.m. BST, that's uh, British time. You can look up your local time zones. And we're going to be raising money for Phoenix Dog Rehoming. So they rescue dogs from all around Europe and rehouse them here in the UK for their forever homes. A lot of these dogs wouldn't have much of a life if they indeed uh, survived out there on the streets of uh, Europe. So we're giving you this day for free. You can come, you can watch events all throughout. You can watch our celebrity guests we've got. You can watch the podcasts and games we've got going on for absolutely free. But we do ask, please, if you can afford it, donate at dogsqueed.com where you can donate now. And here's what we're putting up on offer on the day. So we've got legendary composer from Due South, Jay Semko, Una McCormack, who's worked uh, writing for such properties as Star Trek, Doctor Who, and Firefly in book form. We've got Chuck Roy, comedian from America, Sean Kelly from Storage Hunters, David Marciano, Ray Vecchio himself from Due South, Sophie Aldred from classic Doctor Who, the seventh Doctor companion ace, Ronald B. Moore, the legendary visual effects uh, Emmy Award winner, is going to be joining us, Sammy Shah, the comedian from Australia, and Toby Haydock from Coronation Street. And as I say, there'll be lots of other fantastic things happening throughout the 24 hours. We're going to be having um, some celebrity guest messages, which uh, we'll tell you all about on the day. It's going to be amazing. Please check it out. Please join us. And most of all, please do donate. Where can you watch it? So it's, as it says here on the uh, poster for the day, if you go to twitch.tv slash superpoduk, if you go to facebook.com slash the Dr. Squeeze Show, if you go to YouTube and look up our YouTube channel for the Dogs of Squeeze show, you can watch it in all those places. And please do subscribe and follow for more updates as we bring you them and a full lineup for the day. Thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you on the day. And please donate whatever you can at drsquee.com. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you on the 25th to the 26th of September. Thank you. Lived alone in a little home by the township of King. In the morning, she feed the birds and listen to them sing. From the woods, they flock to her, knowing she would do. The Township of Kings by Ian Shaw. The tall, chubby, aging frame of Inspector Johnny Diamond and the young, slight figure of Special Constable Steve Armani marched toward the large, impressive, yet rustic-looking building in King City, which served as the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Headquarters in the Township of Kings. Although the township itself was mostly rural in nature, King City was where the action would happen. 
Special Constable Armani made a calming gesture with his hands. Now, Johnny. Inspector Diamond stopped, gave him a withering glare, which led Armani to a quick correction. Sorry, Inspector Diamond. Diamond resumed his brisk pace as Armani struggled to keep up and talk as he did. Inspector Diamond, I know you are upset, but we are still visitors in this country. Maybe we should just hear the lieutenant out. Inspector Diamond did not reply. He'd been this way ever since they came to Canada from Scotland Yard. Come to think of it, thought Armani, he was not any more fun than when they worked at the yard. They burst into the building. Diamond strolled straight up to Elaine on the front desk. Lieutenant in! He barked at the young lady. She finished typing the paragraph she was on for the report she was writing and regarded Diamond with a look that had even him straightening up. I'm sorry, Inspector. Did you want something? I am assuming that ignorant barking is not the way you ask a lady to assist you now, is it, Johnny? She looked past him to Armani and gave a grin, as if to say, Don't worry. I'll handle him for you. She had obviously heard them talking outside and was always more than happy to take the inspector down a peg or two on Armani's behalf. Armani didn't know how she got away with it, especially calling him by his first name like that. But she had this power of Inspector Diamond. Armani suspected it might be similar to the effect she had on most men. Armani more than included. Inspector Diamond took a deep breath, plastered on a strange smile. Good morning, Elaine. How are you? Elaine batted her eyes at Diamond, almost sarcastically. Why, Inspector, how nice of you to ask. Well, I'm not too bad. Got a mountain of paperwork I have Is to... Lieutenant Page in by any chance? Diamond cut in. He would indulge her only so much. Elaine knew this too, and knew when to quit while she was ahead. Sure. Go right ahead. Thank you, Elaine. Diamond said, already walking to the lieutenant's office. Elaine looked at Armani with bedroom eyes. So, Steve... How's you? The inspector treating you right, I hope. Uh, well, I, I mean, he's just... Lamani always got so tongue-tied around the lane. Especially when she used his first name like that. Ah, uh, I see, <laughs> Elaine said, nodding thoughtfully in a playfully mocking manner. Armani! The inspector called as he knocked on the lieutenant's office door. I'm sorry, Armani said to Elaine. Uh, I better... Uh, well, you know. And as he did a quick step after Diamond, he could just hear Elaine giggling as he left. He smiled to himself, and thought, I'm in there. The respective Mounties Armani passed nodded a greeting. Even Jay stopped tuning his guitar long enough to blurt out a, Good day, Steve. How's it going, buddy, eh? They were not worried about hitting Canadian stereotypes around these parts. Armani just caught up with Diamond as he entered the lieutenant's office. Lieutenant Page brushed his foppish blonde hair from his eyes with one hand and turned from staring out his office window at the snow-capped mountains in the distance to regard the two Brits as they came in. Diamond at a march, with Armani almost knocking into him as he bumbled in at a pace men use when they want to run, but don't want to appear to be running. Page gave an uneasy smile as he took off his suit jacket, popped on his glasses that he'd just finished cleaning, and sat down in his chair signalling to the two men to do the same. The lieutenant was about to engage in some pleasantries when Diamond leapt in, feet first, as always. You wanted to see us, lieutenant. 
I would assume to wish us luck in the bus tonight. Armani had the feeling his suggestion to tread lightly might have fallen on deaf ears. At least the inspector never disappointed. Page put on his broadest of smiles, the one he reserved for when he needed to be at his greatest Canadian politeness under challenging circumstances. A smile he found himself using a lot with Diamond. Inspector, do you remember the deal we made between us here at the RCMP and Scotland Yard when you came here on the hunt for the Reaper? Diamond returned the smile, but his attempt came out looking crabbier than when he just let his face do the scowl it was so renowned for. Of course I do. I would stay attached as liaison to the RCMP from the British Consulate and assist on other cases between working on leads on said Reaper. The Reaper was a notorious drug baron. Originally, he had stuck to his native territory of the UK, coming, as he did, from London. But when his operation had been shut down there after a bust which had made the careers of Diamond and Armani, he fled to his Canadian cousin, who with his help opened up supply routes all over the country, where he had matured to gun running as well. It had taken a few years, but Armani had been the one who tracked him down to the township of Kings. After some wrangling with the RCMP, it had been agreed that Diamond and Armani would head up a local task force under the RCMP and British Consulate in exchange for helping on local cases along the way. A part of the deal that Armani was happier than Diamond to comply with. Page hid a sigh within a broad grin. I was more talking about the part where any operations were to be run past me. That although you were the head of the task force and would work the leads, before you actually took any action, I would have to approve said action. You remember that part, eh? Whilst Armani was marvelling at Paige actually using both a boot and a in one sentence, no less, Diamond was more incredulous at how Paige thought he wasn't sticking to the agreement. I am very aware of that part of the agreement, Lieutenant. He said, with ill-hidden contempt. Which is why I sent you an email this morning, saying we were going in. Lieutenant Page's grin broadened to the point where it was painful in efforts not to break and tell this limey what he really thought right now. You know, here in Canada, I like to think especially in Kings, we pride ourselves on being courteous and kind. We don't expect everyone to be the same as us, but it would be nice if they got into the spirit a little bit. Don't you think, Armani? Armani didn't know what to say. Did he agree with Paige, risking Diamond's wrath, clearly in the wrong as his mentor was, or risk worsening the situation with the lieutenant. In the end, he went with, Well, sir, before Page thankfully cut him off. I think it would anyway. So when we said all operations to be rammed past me, maybe you could choose to realize, Johnny, that we meant for you to ask and not inform me of said operation. You hear me, Johnny? This last Johnny was coated in not even slightly hidden contempt. Inspector Diamond was seething on the inside. Why was he put in this position? All he wanted to do was come to another country, catch a now international drug and gun runner, and do it without answering to anyone. Was that too much to ask? He too put on his polite voice. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. Please may we go after the bad guy? Armani felt more uncomfortable by the minute. When it came to police work, he had nerves of steel. When it came to dealing with awkward situations about chain of command, he melted. 
Page tried his best to ignore the sarcasm from Diamond. Maybe! He found himself shouting before he recomposed. Maybe you gentlemen could be so good as to talk me through the plan. Assuming you do have a plan. Before Diamond could pour more petrol on the fire, Armani stepped in again. Of course, sir. Confused, looking between his two superiors as he stood up. Page looked relieved to be dealing with him. Diamond was less pleased at being interrupted from letting his true feelings be known. Armani continued. We tracked the Reaper to an old shutdown woodmill at the base of Gross Mountain, he said, pointing to the map on the wall of the office. Turns out his cousin owns it for a patsy he pays off, and has used it for small-time gun running to the territories for years. Now the Reaper has stepped up operations, hundreds of guns, ammo and cocaine going out daily. At night, however, it's still poorly guarded. Page held up a hand. If he's running so many guns and so much product, why is this thing so poorly guarded? Diamond, relieved to hear an actually sensible question for once, stepped in. Our info comes from a small-time petty thief we picked up. Usually we call him every month or so trying to fence something off the back of a lorry. Or Chuck, if you like, he said, the sarcasm sneaking back in. But this time he was trying to move some of the guns they've been churning out. We was more than happy to talk to avoid a meatier sentence than usual. He says to me, where the Reaper's been stepping up operations so quick, he's short on manpower. His cousin tried to warn him, but when the Reaper wants to step things up, he doesn't wait. He had the men to do that in London all the time, no sweat, but his cousin is not so well connected, so it'll take time for them to get enough men in place. Hence, they're using our friend to move the goods. They can produce the goods, but not protect them so well. His cousin has used the excuse, less men guarding, less suspicion. The Reaper is getting lazy. This is our chance to get him before he manages to get more men. Come on, Mike. We'll just stake out the area. We'll come to you before taking any action. Armani winced. There was so nearly a great argument, before Diamond had resorted to using Page's first name. Page looked out the window taking off his glasses again and rubbing the bridge of his nose. Without turning round, he said, Fine. You have a go. But you're taking Stanley and Taylor with you. Before Diamond could protest this addition to the stakeout, he added, spinning to look Diamond in the eyes, And Johnny, you tried to email me instead of asking permission again? Or you even dream of calling me by my first name again? And I'll put you on a plane back home to Blighty myself. Thank you kindly, gentlemen. Diamond was about to retort when Armani ushered him through the door. After you, boss. They both marched out of the office. Outside, Diamond lit up a post-meeting cigarette. Diamond looked at Armani, who was quietly seething to himself. Okay, said Diamond, taking the drag. Let's have it. Why are you pissed with me? Armani looked at Diamond. Did he really not get it? He scoffed. Don't worry. Diamond took another, longer drag on his cigarette. Oh, God. This is like one of my ex-wives. They look all pissed off and won't tell me why. Like I should just know. Like I'm psychic or something. Well, maybe if you paid more attention, you wouldn't have as many ex-wives. Armani found himself blurting out. Diamond almost laughed. 
Ha! I see my young partner has a voice in there after all. This had been building up for months, ever since they got to Canada, and Armani could not hold back any longer. Okay, you want to know why I'm so annoyed? It's you. I put up with a lot of shit from you back home, but now I, I, I just can't do it anymore. Diamond was enjoying seeing this fire in his hereto softly spoken sidekick, but honestly wasn't sure what had led to this. Can't do what anymore? All of this. You go into every situation like everyone owes you something. Like you're just deserving of everyone doing things your way. You gotta wave that back home because you were the cock of the walk after we busted the Reaper's operation. You must know it's not going to fly here. The lieutenant has been nothing but kind to us since we got here. Lent us every courtesy. Can't you just be nice? Nice! Diamond parroted back with an expression like the word was a wedge of lemon in his mouth. Nice! <laughs> what is wrong with your generation? I remember when officers wouldn't even give you the time of day if you didn't sass them a bit. You've got to be able to talk to your superiors like you would a woman. With respect, Armani said, holding out little hope that this was the desired answer. Like they know you mean business, Diamond went on, ignoring the foolish naivete of his colleague. You're a good officer. Don't mind admitting we wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for your way around forensics and tracking down the Reaper. But you've got to know how to talk to people to get things done in the real world. Armani sighed as Diamond crushed out his cigarette. With respect, sir, I think the real world you are talking about went the way of the dinosaurs about a decade or two ago. Believe it or not, I'd hate to see your considerable skills go with them. You worry about staying sharp out there tonight. Let me worry about me. Now go home, get something to eat. Catch a nap. You'll be working through the night on this one. He pulled up the collar on his raincoat, an affection he still thought was a cool bit of detective kit, and walked off, leaving Armani to ponder if they would catch this pup before or after one of them killed the other. The station dog, a Labrador called Benny, followed Elaine, who was carrying two cups of coffee. She handed one to Armani. Thanks, he said, taking a sip and petting Benny. White with two sugars. She always got it just how he liked it. You okay? She said, brushing her long black hair back from her face and throwing Benny a treat. I heard you and the big man going at it. The most I think I've heard you say back to him since you've joined us. Armani sighed. He just got to me, finally. He's a good man. The best officer we have back home. He just... I don't know. I just wish he'd get out of his own way sometimes. Get with the 21st century. Maybe even let his partner in occasionally. Elaine blew on her coffee thoughtfully. It's true he could learn a thing or two about being more respectful. And learning the world doesn't owe him quite as much as he thinks. But think about this. If he's such a dinosaur, why are you here with him? Armani thought about it. Scotland Yard wanted me here with him. I was needed. Elaine wasn't buying it. So this case, halfway across the world, comes up and you had to say yes. No one else could have come with him. Steve thought about this for a moment, rocking the now half-empty paper coffee cup in his hands back and forth as he watched Benny give himself an impromptu bath on the front porch of the station. I wanted to come. I wanted to spend more time with him. He was a legend around the yard. 
people kept telling me how good he was, and I'd be lucky to spend time with him before he retired one of these days. So when he recruited me to help on the case, I... And I helped crack it, no less. I wanted to see it through. And, yes, I wanted to work with him. Elaine held his hand in a way you wouldn't usually hold someone's hand at work. So work with him. Maybe being around you will change him a little. Maybe it won't. But you wanted to spend time with him. And learn whilst you have the chance. That comes with accepting him for who he is. Not who you want him to be. Sometimes you're stuck with people for reasons that only make sense after the fact. The ones who don't act like you want them to can often teach us the most. No harm in giving him a hard time along the way, though. <laughs> the two laughed, caught each other's gaze for just a little longer than professional. Then Elaine patted Armani's hand as she withdrew hers and walked inside without another word. Later that evening at the stakeout, across from the wood mill, the two officers were bundled into a van with tinted windows wearing binoculars around their necks. Armani was trying to listen to an earpiece tuned in to intercept the walkie-talkies the Reaper's men were carrying, but was finding it hard to hear over the rustling of the pack of dino donut bits and slurping of coffee by his superior in the van. He turned to Diamond, who was, of course, in the driver's seat. Could you possibly eat and drink just a little quieter? Diamond took another purposefully louder slurp of coffee. Lighten up, sunshine. The informant said the Reaper isn't due for another hour. Don't you know half the fun of stakeouts is snacks and the waiting? You've never even seen any films? Sorry, boss. I just kind of thought maybe listening out for any further information, you know, doing a little police work, might be a better spend of our wait. Diamond took a napkin, shoveled the sugar from the donut bits from the corners of his mouth into it. He looked at his partner. You don't think I pay attention? Armani was trying to keep his cool, but wasn't succeeding. Honestly, sir? Diamond nodded. Honestly? Armani looked into his eyes for any sign this was a trap. But it didn't matter. He was going to speak his mind, even if it was. Okay. No. I think you are very good at the job you did when you qualified in Manchester back in the 80s. Matter of fact, I still think you're good at doing that part of the job now. If you want someone who would track a thug down, even to the ends of the earth, you're our man. If you want someone who can follow his gut to some hideout the same perp thinks no one knows about, that's you too. But to wait? To be patient? You ever wonder if there's a reason it was me, and not you who got the forensics on the Reaper? That it was me who tracked the DNA to find out his birth name was John Riker and that he had a family here. Armani took a beat, recomposed himself. I do admire you, sir. But you have to move with the times. Diamond shook his head. There you go again. Move with the times. Don't be a dinosaur. Who the goddamn do you kids fresh out of nappies in the academy think you're dealing with? You know why I asked you in the first place when I was tracking the Reaper? Armandy didn't know what to say. He had no idea why. Well, Steve, Diamond continued, after a pause just long enough to make Armani look a little foolish. Let me tell you why. Because a good officer knows what he knows. A great officer knows what he doesn't, too. That's the first thing we learned at the Academy. You think I am aware? I don't know the forensics as well as you. When I was training, that was all new. I go to training, I try to keep up, but you know what? I'm old. 
few more years, I'll be retiring to some desk back home. Maybe even teach some snot-nosed kids back there how to track a collar when you don't have all the fancy gadgets with you. But until then, I will spend every moment surrounding myself with ungrateful, know-it-all wankers like yourself so I can learn as much as I can to be as good a cop as I know how to be. Not because I love your company so much, but because it's what I need to do to be the most effective I can be at my job. You might consider yourself doing the same. But I... Armani was about to try and defend himself, but the inspector wasn't done. You think because I'm drinking my coffee and slipping down some donuts, I'm not aware of my surroundings? When did that blue car across the street pull in? The blue car? Exactly. It parked at 10.21. Exactly. Half an hour ago. And that guy on the street corner... How long's he been casing out the street? Presumably for the Reaper's operation. I, I hadn't actually noticed. No! You didn't! He's been there for an hour. Got here just after us. So yeah, you have your earpiece tuned into their radios and have your aerial photography and schematics of the area on your little smartphone there. But just maybe, if you were listening for what I know, instead of zeroing in on what I don't, you might just learn to. The van was silent for a moment, till Amani broke it. I'm sorry. Diamond finished his coffee. Let the apology hang in the air a moment. Before saying, Yeah, I'll accept your apology. You're also not completely wrong. I know I could shut my mouth more often with Paige. And a dozen bosses like him. Might have got a few pay grades higher if I did, truth be told. Just, Diamond trailed off. Genuinely looking like he didn't have an answer for why he behaved like this. And Armani smiled. It's just, you've got to have fun somehow between wives. Right, boss? Diamond smiled back. You checked in with the Mounties recently? No. I'll call through now, Armani said, returning to his radio. Nesta Bird 1. How goes it? Constable Taylor looked up from the dog he was flipping on the grill of the van he was manning, and held his finger to the earpiece, faking pushing his hair back. Well, my uncle will be pleased. I think I sold more dog tonight than he does in his usual spot the other side of town in the weekend. <laughs> and he got the night off. No sign of the Reaper, though. Don't forget to save us two with everything. <laughs> I'll check in on Stanley. Armani flicked the dial again to get Constable Stanley, who was posing as a tramp down the road. Bird two? Not enough for a coffee yet. The radio was silent, save for a soft crackle on the line. Then a voice came. Sorry, officers, but your Monty friend isn't going to be at the country radio right now. Both Diamond and Armani recognized the Reaper's hard Yorkshire accent instantly. Armani answered frantically, Is he safe? Well, the Reaper mused, bits of him are. How much of him remains safe is entirely up to you. I mean, man, you got that, dear. Obviously, you'll be with the other fat pig Diamond. But who else? Diamond grabbed his radio. Yeah, I'm here. But that's it. Just the three of us with Stanley. Armani nodded to Diamond. They could at least protect Taylor. Just three? Really? Yeah, it's just us, concurred Armani. Very well, then, the Reaper said with an even tone. 
He then murmured something to someone off the radio. There was the sound of gunfire. Amani shouted to Diamond, who was scanning the streets with his binoculars. Can you see anything? No! Diamond screamed, completely forgetting himself. It's Tyler! He's gunned down Tyler! There was a click on the radio. The Reaper again. He said there was only three of you. Now there is. May I suggest your answers from now on? A little more truthful. Diamond grabbed the radio again in anger. What do you want? Simple, really. The two of you will drive your van to the woodmill. You pop by the office at the back. My men will check you for weapons. Then you head on to my office. I'll let your man go. A skilled surgeon should be able to give him. Relatively normal life for sure. You bastard! Amani found himself screaming into the radio. The Reaper tutted into the radio. Spectre, control your man there. You might come to harm you though. Let alone, Mr. Stanley here. Diamond put a calming hand on Amani's shoulder as he spoke into the radio. Just me! Let Armani go! Sorry, officer, but you both shut down my operation back home. You both get to come see me. Okay, Amani said with as much calm as he could muster. But I want to speak to Stanley first. I'm doing nothing till I know he's safe. There was another crackle on the radio. Then Bruce Stanley's voice. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Don't, don't do it. Just leave. There was a scream from the Mountie as the Reaper took back the radio. Now, Mr. Stanley, look what you've made me do. That won't heal if I keep prodding it. He then spoke to the officers in the van. You don't come, he dies. You radio for help, he dies. I take you out now as well. My men are already trained on you. You're five minutes and I want you here. Diamond dropped his radio, but Armani tried one more time. Reaper! Bruce! <clears throat> he said, throwing his radio across the van too. So what do we do? Diamond didn't say anything. He started the van. You can't be... You can't be serious. You're just gonna go in. No backup. No plan. Diamond stopped the van for a moment. What would you have me do? You heard him. If we do nothing, he'll kill Stanley just like he did Taylor. If we radio through, he's clearly tracking our radio and he'll know. He'll have guns on us already. I won't make you do this, but unless you have another plan, I don't. When I start this van back up, we either floor it, try to get out of the area alive, or we go in, try to get Stanley out of there. Maybe think of something to take the Reaper down when we are in. Only we probably shouldn't count on making it out alive. No one does with the Reaper. Amani didn't say anything. What could he say? Eventually Diamond started up the van. The goons on the gauges watched as they drove through. Clearly having their orders already, they pointed them toward the office at the back. As they drove past the mill, they could see the boxes. Full of guns. Drugs. Not both. They parked up in front of a set of metal stairs, leading up to the foreman's office. The Reaper had made it his base. The guards at the bottom of the stairs watched carefully as the two officers made their way out of the van with their hands up. Diamond spoke slowly, calmly, 
We are going to one at a time go into our pocket slowly and drop our weapons on the ground before walking to you. Okay? The guards nodded. Slowly, Diamond and Armani disarmed themselves and walked over to them, where they were frisked and taken to the stairs at gunpoint. When they reached the top, they went into the office where the Reaper signaled for the men to take Stanley outside. As the men started dragging him out, Diamond noticed he wasn't moving. He instinctively went over toward him, but was stopped by the two men dragging Stanley, waving their guns. The Reaper gestured for the men to lower their guns, put Stanley down. You can check, Inspector. He's still alive. Diamond moved slowly but purposefully over to his friend and fellow officer. He was lying on one side now, facing away from him. No blood visible. But Diamond gently put his hand on his arm in a supportive gesture, ready to turn him over to see the worst. Stanley stood, spoke softly. I'm sorry, Charlie. Johnny Diamond was far from an emotional man, but he was fighting back a tear. You've got nothing to be sorry for. Suddenly, Stanley turned over and revealed a gun which was now pointed directly into Diamond's chest. Armani went for his gun, but the Reaper's men took aim, stopping him in his tracks. Stanley got up, moving Diamond with him with the aid of the gun. I do, Bart. I'm afraid I didn't get captured after all. You can't get captured when you're working with someone. Diamond couldn't conceal feeling more than a little hurt. Why, Stanley? He didn't need to do this. Stanley's face changed from one of slight sorrow to that of contempt. If you bother to actually find out what was going on in anyone's life but your own, you might know about my wife having cancer. Who's going to pay the bills? My insurance doesn't cover the drugs she needs. My reputation as a Mountie isn't enough to save her life. This medicine might. If I have to help someone running guns and drugs to do it, so be it. The money watched, powerless to act, as Stanley shoved Diamond next to him. The Reaper looked on with a grin that could only be described as shit-eating. He pulled out his own weapon. Any last words, gentlemen? Before Armani could say anything, Diamond reached for his secret side piece, a gun he had concealed in the back of his trousers, just where it would be missed in a hasty search. He reached for it, drew it up to the Reaper with impressive speed. But not fast enough. The Reaper shot first, and with a thud, Johnny Diamond hit the floor, bleeding uncontrollably from the belly. His recently concealed weapon falling to the floor and spinning to the Reaper's feet. Armani sank to the floor, held his partner and superior officer up, applying pressure to the wound with his hand. But there was no use. Diamond painfully managed to talk. I'm sorry, sunshine. It doesn't look like we're going to witness what <laughs> I had to try. Armani fought back the tears as much as he could. Forgetting the situation they were both in, the Reaper seemed content to let this play out until Diamond died. Armani looked Diamond in the eye. Why? You always have to be so big-headed and now you're gonna die on me! You've been like this all my life! Armani wasn't sure why he said that. All his life. They'd only worked together a few years. Intense as those years were. Oh no. Oh no. Diamond said, seeming to go along with this strange utterance. But when your mum died, you needed someone to be strong for you. I tried to show. I cared too. It just wasn't easy. 
At least we always play to being detectives like this. Huh? A man he looked down to his hand. It was smaller, suddenly. That of a child. Diamond seemed younger too, somehow. Early thirties. No blood. But they're in the same pose. Like it was all a game. What was going on? Dad? Amani found himself saying. Before Diamond could respond, a voice came from nowhere, accompanied by dramatic, yet dated, sounding music. Can Inspector Diamond beat the odds and survive this seemingly mortal wound? Will Armani find their way out of here and defeat the Reaper? Tune in next time to the exciting conclusion only on... The Township of Kings. Armani felt sick. Felt like he was remembering something he didn't want to. Dad. Dad. Diamond. Don't leave me. Don't. John Wright woke up in a sweat in the hospital night room, reserved for families of patients. The TV in the corner of the room was playing the theme tune at the end of the Township of Kings, as he shot forward in his chair, shouting, Don't die! Concluding the sentence from his nightmare. It took him a while to orientate, as all the facts hit his head. The feeling of sickness from his dreams solidified into the real world. He had been in the hospital for 48 hours solid before he finally agreed to leave his father's bedside. His father, Johnny Wright Sr., was dying. He had been diagnosed with cancer months before, but had stubbornly kept it a secret till last week, when he toppled over an Aldi in town whilst getting his weekly shop. John had been called by a checkout assistant, who found his number on his dad's mobile, something he carried but would have been hard-pushed to know how to use. So after years of being estranged, John had come to his father's bedside to be with him each night. It was hard to talk to each other, even though both men wanted to say so much. Forty-eight hours ago, Johnny had slipped into unconsciousness as the now terminal cancer continued to spread, unrelenting, as Johnny went through the last days of his life. When the nurses had forced John to take a break in this room, even if he just sat down for an hour, he paced for a good ten minutes before noticing an old cop show on the TV, with no sound on. He tracked down the remote control under some out-of-date home and garden magazines, and turned the sound up. It was the Township of Kings, a cop show he grew up watching with his father. Two officers from Scotland Yard followed a drug and gun smuggler from the UK to Canada, and stayed attached as liaisons to the British consulate, and they would help the Mounties get their man. John had remembered all the times he had watched it with Dad. All the hours they would then spend in the garden pretending to be the two British heroes showing the Mounties how they did it back home. His dad, Inspector Johnny Diamond, and him as his loyal young assistant and partner, Special Constable John Armani. His dad insisting he needed to be the lead cop, as they had the same name. Many was the night his mum would have to practically drag them in for dinner half an hour after her first warning. It'll get cold if you don't come in right now! When his mum died when he was ten, John remembered Township coming on TV. He sat and watched it alone, expecting his dad would bound in as he did every time he heard the theme tune. But he didn't this time. He must have been busy. Afterwards, he called through to his dad to come play. After no reply, he went through to find his dad in his home office. When John suggested they go find some bad guys in the garden, Johnny slurred. A little too old for us to keep playing that. And returning to his drink that he had just topped up, he never brought up the game again and the two never watched the show after that, one or the other switching over when it came on. When he was old enough, John left for university, 
and never returned till now. Thirty years later, as Helene came through to the family room, John was pretty sure she had been at the hospital as long as him, but you wouldn't know by her relentless kindness and energy for her patience. She gave John a smile and put a comforting hand on his shoulder. Are you okay, John? I heard you shouting. She had called him John right away when they first met, and the lack of formality put him at ease every time. Yes, a dream. Or, or a nightmare. Elaine nodded kindly and spoke softly. Your father, he's awake and asking for you. I think it's time to say goodbye. John nodded, wiping tears he hadn't felt himself cry away, as if by instinct. You will have a moment? Of course, Elaine said, walking to the door. I'll go make him comfortable, ready for you to come in. He simply nodded as she left and drew himself to his feet. He felt his dream had helped him understand something in a weird way. Yes, his dad had been cold after his mother died, and he was stubborn a long time before that. But he cared, as well as him not speaking much or playing with John. He remembered other times too, like when John fell asleep with his TV and lights on, and woke up with them magically off, his lunch waiting for him in the fridge for school. Like when his dad, without comment, worked night shifts in the office, to earn the money to pay for his school skiing trip they could ill afford. When John had made the school play, and although he wasn't there before and disappeared after, he saw his dad at the back of the audience, with pride on his face. John had thought he was avoiding him. Maybe he was in some way, but there were a dozen ways in which his dad had been there for him over the years. They may have been apart for a long time, unable to reach out to one another, but they were here, now, finally. He would remind his father of the Township of Kings, of all those times together in the garden, of Mum calling them in for a beautiful home-cooked meal, and hugs, and his final moment with his father, through all the sadness and tears that would follow. John Wright found his father, and found hope. The Township of Kings Written by Ian Shaw Read by Tom Dangerfield Guys, come on now. How amazing was that? That is The Township of Kings, read by Tom Dangerfield. Um, it was actually really weird, because it was a little while ago I wrote that story. I couldn't remember some of the plot details, so I was kind of enjoying it anew myself. Uh, but Tom did an amazing job reading that. He was given that last minute to do, uh, given that my voice actually right now is still recovering. So thanks very much to him for doing it. Uh, remember guys, this weekend, uh, if you're listening to this uh, before, Saturday the 25th to Sunday the 26th, 2pm till 2pm BST, that's uh, British time, we're going to be doing Squee Fest, featuring David Marciano, Jay Semko, and me, Monty Michelle, Svignanade Nicola, uh, Armani John, and Colonel Stefan, doing a special episode of Due South by Southeast, where we talk about all the King's horses, and we've got a special announcement that Armani John and uh, Colonel Stefan have for you guys. So you're not going to want to miss it. Please do donate now at uh, www.drsqueed.com, where I'll redirect you to our Facebook fundraising page, where we're raising money for Phoenix Dogs Rehoming, a wonderful charity. If you listen to this afterwards, you can still catch the whole of Squee Fest, which will be up on the Dr. Squee Show uh, Facebook page or the Due South by Southeast Facebook page. You'll be able to find it with the whole event and you can still donate for a couple of weeks after the event. So no excuses, guys. But thank you very much for listening. Have a great week in the meantime. And this is uh, me 
Detective Squee! Signing off for now. And remember, until next time, keep your compasses pointed due south by southeast. (laughs) 